Welcome to the Post Talk Live podcast, where we host live salon gatherings for curious people around the world. Hosted by me, Susan McTavish Best. Today's topic for our Post Talk salon is solitude, and our guest today is Professor David Vincent. Um, where are you, David? Are you in Shropshire? I'm in Shropshire, yes. If I don't know where you can, um, I'll just turn my around. Can you see? Oh my gosh! And of course, we're nearly at the equinox, so of course, it's very yeah, light yeah. there. So we have we have um, <laughs> well, I, I live on the uh, on the River Seven, just just north of Shrewsbury in, in Shropshire, ah. on, the, on the Welsh border. So beautiful, and I see we have competing libraries as well yeah. in our. In our <laughs> a lot of reading. Well, congratulations! Today is your book launch of. A History of Solitude. Is that right, in, in the U.S.? In the U.S., yes. It's been out in Britain for a bit, but yeah. Yeah, yeah two stunning reviews, which was um, how I fell into it. And, and what a time to come out with this book. <laughs> well, it's, it's been three years in the making, and it started as a, a, a niche subject, but suddenly when it arrived, yeah. uh, it was right in the middle of the, uh, of the debate. Yeah, well, this is, I, I can't wait to talk to you about this. And for those who are watching um, live, please do ask questions. The topic is solitude and a history of solitude, really, over the last 300 years in the UK, right? Because you're based in the UK and uh, you're a professor there. Um, uh, but I thought a good way to start off, maybe, uh, would to perk us all up, and it depends on sort of where we are, if we're still in solitude or not. We are unraveling from solitude where I am. Um, could you perk us up with some, some stories of historical figures who've benefited from solitude over the last couple of hundred years? Well, one of the people in my, uh, in my, in my book is Harriet Martineau, who was a, a mid-19th century public intellectual um, a writer on political economy, famous in her time, and she fell ill with uh, a gynecological kind of complaint, and then just shut herself up in her house. Very unusual for a woman to do that too. But we'll get, let's get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> she declared that if she was going to be ill, she might as well make the most of it. Uh, she would control entry into her house. She would let no one in except servants and and, and, and the occasional doctor, and she would celebrate the quiet that she had achieved, and write. Uh, uninterfered with by men and by the by the larger world. And for five years, she sat in this house, uh, refusing all company, but writing about it and celebrating her freedom. That she did, she, she thought she was dying, although she in fact wasn't. Um, so she had no illusions about the seriousness of her state. But she just um, created uh, this vision of a private world for a woman in which she could express herself. Uh, and, then he, and, then, and then wrote about it and, and, and sent a book out to the rest of the world about it. And I think was, the interesting word you use there is freedom, right, for a woman yeah. of, in that time. It provided her some freedom. It's very difficult. I mean, Virginia Woolf wrote a famous uh, essay in, in the early 20th century called A Room of Your Own. Have you ever come across that? Mm -hmm. it's, uh, I haven't read it, but yeah. Yeah, right, but it's, 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 it's a kind of manifesto. For what would have to be an upper middle class woman, I mean, she, it, you, she said you needed five hundred pound a year to do it, which was a lot of money in those days. Uh, but that every woman needed it, and with a lock. Ah, with a lock. and with a lock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and anyone, any other folks like Samuel Pepys, I know, is a, a fan of solitude. Easier for men to yeah, seek solitude. Pepys is interesting because um, 
he was writing during the plague in London, which was, I mean, a, a, a kind of equivalent to the, of the experience we, we now have. Mm. Um, but without, that, without the hysteria that we've had in the last few years around loneliness and solitude from the well, government. Indeed, <laughs> and, and, and though they didn't understand the, 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 the science of it, they had grasped the essential point of quarantine, that if it comes, stay away from other people. That they knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pepe sends his family, his wife and his children, out of London. Mm. Uh, so they're safe. But actually... I'm uh, trying to think where he was living at the time. Was that on Cheney Walk? Uh, Down on the Thames? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad place. Yeah. (laughs) He stayed there. And and, uh, you can find, I'm sure, examples in the American culture at the moment, as we can in ours. He actually parted. He he did not act like a responsible citizen. And he Uh, wrote at the end of the year. Actually, it's not been a bad year. He said, I've had some fun this year. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not quite clear, but it may well be that the absence of his wife and children freed him up uh, <laughs> to extend his social life in ways which would not have been possible. Right. Uh, well, what, so one would think with solitude there's less um, temptation, uh, yeah, he, but that is he, not the case. He was breaking he was breaking the rules on on a pretty grand scale, but survived. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was exploiting solitude, I would say, rather than experiencing it. Yeah. When did people start living by themselves? And, and maybe with that, could you then go on and tell us a little bit about the history of the home? Well, most people in the past didn't live by themselves. Right. In, 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 um, in the 18th, 19th centuries, which is where my history starts, um, maybe 1%, if that, of households were single person. 1%. Per- percent. And what is it now? I mean, I know your, your book is looking it, at the UK. It, 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 it's about a th- it's between thirty. Th- it's about a third in most Western, advanced Western countries. It's about a third in Sweden. It's half. Half. Uh, and that, but that is uh, uh, an event which starts really only in 1945. It's a post-1945, post-Second World War event, and from then onwards, there's this steady growth through the second half of the 20th century into our own century mm. of people living by themselves. Um, and for the most part, although you, you get some panic-stricken comments, for the most part, people live by themselves because they chose to do so, because they preferred living by themselves and going back to living with their children. Uh, the children preferred getting out of their parents' way. Uh, and older people were, were content to, to live their own lives. So it was an expression of free choice, mm-hmm. made possible by better pensions, better housing, uh, better welfare benefits. So, so financing really, they had more money. Is, there was it, more. Yeah, there which, for it, yeah. Well, I, I I don't know so much in the UK, but in in America, over probably I guess the last ten years, a lot of twenty somethings, um, you know, pe- folks who are post university, have moved back home because they can't afford to live on their own. Um, no. There's been a bit of reversal in, yeah. in, 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 in this country too, but it's. It's it's not really dented okay. this really huge demographic change, which I mean, many think historians are tedious in their way of pointing out how it was all the same 100 years ago. Well, in this case, it's not. There's a real break in the middle of the 20th century as mm. as people move out into their own households. Mm. Mm. And then uh, homes 200 years ago, where they they were smaller, a different size. Different number well, of rooms for, for the mass of population. You 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 wouldn't get a bedroom to yourself. 
uh, the, the, the social life of a, of, of a family would go on in one room downstairs would be kitchen and and, and social space and, and, and eating space um, if you could afford it of course then you are beginning to get the growth of the middle class household where there are more spare rooms there are also servants um, but you didn't count those you could consider yourself to be completely by yourself with a live-in servant in and out of the room all mm. the time it was how it, it was how they were seen but for the master population no solitude in their houses but people tend to forget that the houses have doors you can go out of as well as stay and go into and it was not difficult to walk out of your house into the countryside into parks into lanes and for most people in the past, the most accessible and used form of solitude was out of doors. Tell us about the size of rooms in Scotland. They were smaller, isn't that correct? They were. They were you're, you're, yes, that's that's right. Um, and they would. They, there was a greater use of tenements, so you you, you wouldn't necessarily have uh, your own outdoor space attached to any space. In England, um, there is the water tradition, which has grown and grown, of uh, having your own garden, however small it was. Uh, and I've seen figures just recently which, which says that people locked down in solitude now, seven out of eight of them have got their own garden in England. Well, you guys have also had a wonderful spring, I think, haven't you? Yeah, it's, been, it's, it's, it's been raining a bit today and we're very pleased to see it because our garden is burnt brown at the moment from, um, oh. from, 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 from the spring. Well, I mean, uh, can, you, can you talk to us a little bit about um, the history of, of, of activities like during the Victorian era, things like gardening, and then I want to talk about board games and women yeah, reading needlepoint. So, so gardening just strikes me as always being, uh, as I was telling you before we started to record, that uh, I grew up in the UK, and gardening is such a British pastime. And if you go into a newsagent, we don't really have these very much in America. Maybe there's one or two in, in L.A., um, so many publications and magazines exist in the UK that are around solitary activities um, that I'm not sure as Americans we've always been so good at or embracing, whether it's needlepoint or gardening. Um, but when did those sorts of activities well, I, start? I, I mean, take gardening, for instance, it's got a long, long history, but at the beginning of the 19th century, there were books on sale, particularly a man called John Abercrombie, um, which were eight, 900 pages long. Uh, and they have it, it has what to do each month. Uh, it has lists of all the plants. Then it has a colossal index, so you can find your way around the book. I mean, they were they were like modern cheap television programs in, in the scale of information which they write, and they're right at the beginning of the 19th century. Yeah, and widely distributed. There were magazines. On I have a bunch of these. Not here. I have them in New York. They're so fun to look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then the magazines start 1824. The first one. So there's a big literature. So it, it's, it's part of what the book's about, that you are by yourself in your garden and you, only one person can dig a bit of soil. But it's a network. You feel yourself part of all the people who buy the, buy the newspapers and, and, and periodicals. You contribute to them. You belong to gardening clubs. Uh, working people who are great gamblers um, used to have competitions for, for growing auriculars. Competitive gardening. Uh, in, in, in the 19th century. You know, in the worst of the towns of the 19th century, it got a bit difficult. But um, gradually, they, allotments grew up. You know what allotment is? Yeah, I do. But only, do you want to describe it? It's only because I grew up in the UK. I don't think we, we don't really have those here in the US. We might have had them during the war, but. It's an area of land, maybe two or three acres, on the edge of a town, which is divided up into strips. And you can rent one of those strips. And then you cycle out from your house on a Sunday and you dig your strip. 
and, and when you're in the UK and you travel on, on British Rail, or anyway, you're taking a train and you're going in and out of towns, you always see the allotments, right? Because they're always, I think it must be cheap land. They're always near where the train tracks are, I feel. Well, that's right. That's right. And they were, <laughs> technically for men, not than women, because the, 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 the sanitary facilities weren't great. But, but they, were, they were widely used. And, and then council houses come along, which all of which have got gardens. And it is, as I say, so not a big people. Have no one will know. Can you tell us what council houses are? That's a British term. Oh, council houses or public housing. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, the American phrase, the projects. I mean, they're, right. They're, they're, we don't have so many gardens in our projects here. It's got Scotland. You get more um, blocks, but in, in England, um, they all have their, their, their land around them. Yeah. And then there's fishing, which is the great participators, the biggest participator sport in, in, in this country. That's, again, got a huge, long history, but rose rapidly in the 19th century into the 20th. Um, and although that was social, you belonged to a club, by and large, unless you could afford to, I mean, to, 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 to fish on the tape. It was a very expensive business. <laughs> but, um, uh, so funny, I was just talking to someone yesterday about fishing uh, on the Tay up in Aberfeldy. So. <laughs> you, you, you or you need a license. I mean, this is you very, you don't need that in America, but yeah. It's you have very, to very pay for your solitude. Yeah, yeah. In England you did too, but it was it was cheaper and, and, and you formed these working, working class gangling clubs. And you went out in a gang, but on the riverbank, you were pegged out at mm. a distance. It was, mm. there, was a, there was a regulation distance, so it was, a, it was also a private solitary activity. Mm. Then you get a whole raft of um, uh, paper games, board games, um, so card solitaire or, um, uh, comes in in, in in the second, third quarters of the 19th century. Uh, crosswords, which actually are invented in the States, but, but, but are brought, brought into England uh, in, the, in the 1930s and, and, and become a huge craze, a whole range of uh, individual games. I mean, the Times newspaper in, um, in this country every day has three pages of solitary word games. I mean, I feel game. I feel like uh, the UK maybe does solitary a little bit better than than in America. Yeah, well, <laughs> so we certainly made more more of So, and the, the, the matters get more complicated. Lighting. I mean, at the beginning of the 20th century, 1% of houses have electricity mm. rapidly. Uh, and if, if you begin to get rooms, all of which are lit, all of which are warm, then you can spread out and find little spaces to do things by yourself. I mean, I think that's uh, an important point, right? Solitary doesn't mean that you have to be uh, by yourself far off in the, in the wilderness. It can be simply... Um, yeah, I was saying before uh, before we recorded. I went to I grew up in uh, went to school in Scotland in boarding school, and we got we were very well trained to find our own moments of solitary. So that might be taking a bath. I think my wife should be on the school, not me. She, she would she she her, her account of bathing at, at the Mountain York is so something else. Yeah. Um, but it's I, I have in my book. Solitude as a physical experience, as you're by yourself. Yeah, closing that door and locking it and filling a bathtub when you're living in a boarding house with 45 other teenage girls. Great. <laughs> but, but there's also something they call abstracted solitude. Ah, tell us what that when you, means. When you're amongst people, but you've withdrawn yourself from them. 
Mm, I live in New York, and I frequently feel that I, where I can be alone. Uh, I live in Soho, and I can hear the horns outside in a Friday evening, and nothing makes me feel more warm and cozy inside uh, than being alone on my couch around my books and hearing all the people around me outside. <laughs> also, it's, it's something that the digital revolution has enhanced. I, I mean, people talk about... Uh, phones and, and laptops and so, so forth as a means of increasing your social networks. Hmm. But it also has a reverse effect. One reason why it's so popular, it allows you to be in company but out of it. You, you, right. you, you've seen all the time people who are in a crowd, in a group, who aren't in the group, they're on their phone. Right, right, of uh, And there's a question of manners and, and so forth. But nonetheless, the way in which digital technology has increased hmm. um, this kind of abstracted solitude is really important. I was thinking about when you were talking about these publications and uh, periodicals that came out um, in the 1800s, whether it was on gardening or games and needlepoint and what have you, that people subscribe to that network of um, community from a, around a solitary activity. It reminds me of the early days of the internet um, where so it was always called the freaks and the geeks felt very alone and maybe actually lonely and certainly solitary in how they thought mentally. Um, but, you know, they were able to find their people on the Usenet groups. I was, you know, I'm sure as many people who are listening and watching this were early on the internet. It's like you found your people. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. But then now we all do it. But but we do it in, often as a means of escaping the people we're with. Right. Also in the last maybe five, six years, I know it for sure in the UK, um, the, the pl plethora of adult coloring books, yeah. which just strikes me as such a, um, you know, a solitary activity or there's so much noise in our modern world and people are having to do just like color between the lines. <laughs> well, the, the, the 1970 that is something called Berlin Woolwork. Oh, what's that? Which was, which was embroidery by numbers. You, you bought a ready-made grid which are already marked out. I think they still sell these. <laughs> it was a colossal craze in the, in the right. late 19th century. Yeah. Uh, they would uh, have ads in Country Life magazine or The Lady, yeah. perhaps, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and people used to say, a bit like um, counting my numbers, it's not art. But then those who did it said, well, we choose our own colors of wools and, and we take care of it. And, and in the end, we think we are, we are making a picture. We're, 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 we're doing something which is aesthetically worthwhile yeah uh, it spread like wildfire and from about the 1830s onwards and uh, so uh, in the uk we uh you you call hiking walking and in the us we call it hiking which sounds much more active and maybe a little less thoughtful can you give us a little bit of a history of uh walking and rambling well in this country too we've, we've got different words for this for the putting one foot after um the other um part of the <laughs> Part of the purpose of writing this book was to recenter walking as a recreation. But, um, uh, there are some books on walking, Rebecca Solnit, who I'm sure you, you, you know in the States, has written a, a good book. But it's mostly about literary walkers. Walking as an everyday recreation is uh. barely touched by histories because it's so commonplace and so unrecorded. But for most people, the basic way of relaxing in, in the past was just to go for a walk yeah. uh, out of doors. Um, didn't cost you anything, got you away from people. Then on, and this then could then be turned into 
uh, an imaginative exploration. I've got in my book about John Clare, the great early 19th century romantic poet, poet, yeah, uh -huh. um, who, who wrote extensively about the pleasures of, of, of solitary walking. And then later in the 19th century, you begin to get these middle class ramblers, as, we, as, as they called themselves. Who, Lake who, District. Who, who, who bought special clothing yeah. uh, and, <laughs> and on Sundays went off for walks. Um, and they thought they were walking in a solitary countryside because they, they managed to, 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 to empty it of all the people that were in it. And the countryside was full of farm laborers in those days. Mm. They never saw them. Mm. All they saw was empty fields. Mm. Empty mountains mm. uh, and a cult of 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 middle-class um, rambling clubs and, and individual walking uh, grows up mm. uh, in, in in the later 19th century again as a way of getting out of towns. Uh, and then there's mountaineering. I mean, you, once the trains come, you can get to Switzerland quite easily. Mm. Uh, and, and you get so to technology providing an opportunity to right, right, go right. seek some solitary time right. in nature. Yeah, and trains from 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 the get go get you out of towns. You can go on excursions. Um, uh, Cooks, I don't know the Cooks travel agency ever featured in the states. It's huge and it's just gone bankrupt. I was going to say, I think it just went bankrupt, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, definitely. As a kid, I went went on some. We would get these brochures. Right, you get those magazines of Thomas Cook holidays and flick through them. They start running excursions out into countryside. Um, uh, Again, is this targeting the middle class? Well, it was cheap enough for, for working people on, on, mm. on holidays to, mm. um, to do it. So the technology allowed you to, to walk further away from your home than once you could. Mm. And in the 19th century, despite the trains, it's basically a walking culture. Most people got about on their feet. Mm. Uh, and it was a form of recreation, and it could be a form of the most accessible form of solitude. Mm. And it also became a sport as well. Can you tell us a little bit about well, walking, it, it, the competitive sport? It's it's um, that was a late 18th, early 19th century <laughs> game. It, it really belonged to the world of horse racing. It was the same kind of gambling. Um, and there was gambling around pedestrianism. That's right. There was one very famous walker, Captain Buckley, who who um, uh, said about he said he'd walk a thousand miles in a thousand hours for a thousand guineas. It's good marketing. Good marketing. Okay. Right. Yeah. In a circular course on um, uh, uh, Newmarket's race course, and there were huge side bets. I mean, just I mean, I mean, a thousand guineas now is a million. million pounds. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> uh, was it considered manly to be really into walking? It was manly, and and it, it it's it stretched the human potential. Now that that was pre-railways, and once the railways came, then they built other other interest in speed and, and, and competitive walking began to, to die away. It, it belongs to its... Uh, it, it, well, it, well, now we have ultra running and, and uh, right when we, we started quarantine, I interviewed um, uh, a fellow I know up in the Bay Area called Dean Carnassus, who is a very extreme ultra runner. Uh, certainly a solitary pursuit. I mean, maybe just out of fear. He's asked me to go running with him a number of times and I'm too terrified because the, the distances are so long. Um, but it is, I think maybe uh, the competitive walking now is sort of competitive ultra running and, you know, running 200 miles alone. I mean, it is different in the States because just, I mean, the space matters. Yeah, um, yeah. 
you, you, I mean, if you, you you've got uh, if you're if you're in you're in, you're in San Francisco, you know. Uh, I'm in LA now. Yeah. Well, okay, but well, there's, there's a trail that goes up. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, just the vastness of America. Um, and but but also, I think when you know, if you think of the UK and the four countries there, um, I, you know, I grew up in Scotland and I just sort of feel like Scotland is a brand of a country is solitude's a big part of it. Right. Um, that the Highlands and sort of I mean, it, it's not by coincidence that the royal family go up to Balmoral where they can get away from things and, you know, you sort of sense they're thinking deeply up there in nature. <laughs> or at least running away from people. <laughs> I mean, you, you, in America, you can still do wilderness. We, we just do the wild in this country. And it's, it's, it's quite fenced off now. You, you, you've got to work really hard to... Um, completely away from people, even in Scotland. Yeah, you have to go to the, the Outer Hebrides or something. <laughs> Get on, on the ferry schedule. Well then, um, also during the Victorian era, but also now, I think, in the UK, there's something called Monroe bagging, keeping on with a walking theme. And then it was called peak bagging in the Victorian area, era. Um, it's, it's, it's hills of over 3,000 feet. Right. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. And, and John Ruskin was a bit sniffy about people who are bragging that they had bagged another another peak. And I was thinking when I read that in your book that he would have really hated social media, you know, people heading off to Everest and re- taking a photo and posting it on social media. Yeah, he thought it was the wrong sort of bravery, really, and the wrong sort of manhood yeah um, you say I, I have a quote here from you solitude on the mountains was a state of mind what do you mean by that well you in the 19th century because it was still a dangerous and, and difficult activity which required guides you yeah. didn't actually go up by yourself completely you, you were in company yeah um, but in your head you were you, you were by yourself it was your struggle mm-hmm. against nature it was your assertion of your manhood, of your courage, of your um, of all the values which made Britain a great imperial country. You, know, you, mm. you, you, you practice on the mountains and then go off and um, and, and bag another colony. Um, so, so it was an expression of Victorian manhood, um, which did require company. But in your head, you were doing it as a, as a, as a solo uh, adventure mm-hmm. to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what about women in solitude? Historically, over the last couple hundred years, there it comes more slowly. I mean, in nineteenth century Britain, for mm. respectful women, being out of doors by themselves was itself improper. I mean, you had to be in company. Mm-hmm. It only becomes safe and respectable to walk about uh, as uh, a middle class woman late in the nineteenth century, early into the. Mm. How did the department store uh, change that for women? Well, it changed it because um, it was a destination. It changed it because, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a basic point. It had lavatories. It had a place, and, and cafes. It had a place where you could go to mm. and spend time um, with, with all the conveniences that you, that you needed. And, and, of course, shop and, and go home. So their invention... Um, You're right, the cafes and department stores, there's there's one on uh, Princess Street, I can't remember the name of the department, Jenner's, I think, yeah, 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 on Princess Street, it is, you go there, it's still, I mean, people always write about it, um, you know, little old ladies having their lunch with their hat on in Jenner's at the cafe. (laughs) Ladies at lunch, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was a perfectly appropriate place for them to go and meet. (laughs) In, In one sense... 
there's more to do, there's, there's, there's more activity, and you, and you can go out, out of the house by yourself more easily if, if you're a respectable woman. For working class women, being at home could become quite lonely. I mean, there's a separation, as you know, in the 19th century between home and work. Mm. Their husbands will be out the house in a way that in the 18th century they wouldn't have been. Mm. You didn't talk to servants very much. Um, and it could be a very lonely life for the middle class housewife. Sure, because her, her husband would come home and probably not want to talk about her solitary uh, day and what she was doing. That's right, and go, and go off the club. Um, and gradually their life got richer, there were more, more, more activities that they could um, uh, take part in. Um, into the 20th century, um, working class women, again, managed to empty their houses of, of children because there were many fewer of them. Husbands were out of work, and they could be very lonely also. It, 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 it could be a pretty miserable business mm -hmm. living by yourself. In, in, in either household. But eventually, the media comes in, you get the radio arrives in between the wars, uh, you've got cinema, um, no more recreations, it becomes just about possible to go to a public house with somebody. So gradually, women begin to find their own sphere in the 20th century, but it's mm -hmm. slowing. Mm -hmm. um, when did loneliness become such an issue of people talking about this? I know when Theresa May was in government, she a couple of years ago, uh, uh, appointed a minister of loneliness. Um, does that minister still exist, that position? Yeah, it does. It's, 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 the, 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 the original minister resigned after two weeks because she had a row with the government about something else. But um, yeah, it's, it's still there. It's, I mean, you don't see much of it now in, in Johnson land. Um, it is uh, an anxiety amongst the conservatives that mm. the unbridled pursuit of money and of individual pleasure was breaking down social relationships and that the number of people who were having a bad time by themselves was a measure of the downside of a successful capitalism and they felt guilty about this and thought they should do something about it. Mm. Then on the left, it's a much more angry critique saying that the whole capitalist society is bust and we know it's bust because of all these people who are disconnected from society and having a hard time by themselves. Mm. So it, it's, it's got two channels of, 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 of um, concern from either side of the political spectrum mm. and does result in, in the appointment of this, of this minister, which is largely symbolic and there's no money and little... Oh, there's no money to it. Yeah, you have a great quote in... Oh, sorry. 10 million or something, I mean, tiny, tiny sums, yeah. not enough to make um, a difference. And as I argue in my book, um, whilst it was a kind of gesture, running against it was the um, increasing defunding of social facilities in towns mm. after, after the um, 19, uh, 2008 crash. Mm. Uh, and so actually, by that you mean like the local rec center or the, you know, where people could go swimming? Or... And, and all the places you could, you could, you could get together and, and um, where clubs could, 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 could be held. And also the social services, which might look after people, were again um, defunded. So that if there is a problem, it's not so much about rampant capitalism, but about the decay of public services. Mm. That said, since the book was finished, um, we, we, we've had the, um, the lockdown, the, the, the coronavirus. 
there's some very interesting data coming out. And uh, there's a, some work being done in, in um, one of the London universities, which seems to suggest that the number of people who are feeling lonely because of lockdown, coronavirus, um, is only one-sixth of the people who want more solitude. So the biggest problem in the lockdown is people in crowded places, in houses with their children home, their husband home. Well, I mean, right, yeah. Uh, who, who, I mean, you see, you know, quite a bit of space behind you, but not everybody does. And, oh, I, um, have a, I have a vast amount of space. I couldn't have been in a more yeah. roomy place uh, to be in quarantine. <laughs> well, most people, I mean, my, 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 my daughters have got their children home in small houses in London and, and would give anything for some solitude. Well, I mean, I think that's what it was during quarantine, was that, you know, you either had people... Uh, so I'm, I, I I love solitude, so I'm not a good example. But you either had people who were alone and maybe not used to being alone, you know, social and out all the time, but lived alone, now having to be alone, um, and then and desperate for for some company and companionship in person. And then you had other people with you know three toddler, you know, a couple of toddlers at home, full time jobs, and all they can think about is solitude. <laughs> well, that's right. So is there's a headline in this? Is is that the uh, the lockdown, the, the, the quarantine, um, has generated a demand for, for solitude. Right, and in Japan, I know in Japan they started um, hotels, I think it was in some of the hotels that stayed open, offering uh, rooms for married couples who needed space from themselves during quarantine. Uh, and the number of people who are reporting that they're lonely in quarantine is 5%. Uh, oh, yeah. that's, everything that's, I mean there's so many zoom calls it's really hard to feel ultimately I suppose loneliness is a bit in your own head we have a couple of comments here I'm gonna um, run this ah it's such a large comment from Rachel I'm way into this topic I miss solitude no, it's just what we were talking about that yeah. and I want some solitude right? yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's right um I got to live alone for a decade I was grateful for it every single day yeah I mean um, I, I look at solitude as um, it's a little bit like exercise, being able to be on one's own and you you sort of schedule it in. And I, the difference, though, I think, of course, with quarantine is there was no end date. Um, whereas when you schedule in your solitude and that healthy time alone, you always know when the, when the end time is. And I think... That, that, that is crucial. And um, in, in my case, I'm, I'm actually formally locked down and will be forever. I mean, I'm not letting out at all because um, I'm no longer as, as young as I was. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the thing, the, one of the great arguments of the book is that good solitude is when you can get into it and get out of it at will, when you can move between social life and solitude. I life. mean, that's anything, right? You know, <laughs> it's like knowing that there is a potential end. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So it's, it's a capacity to choose. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't choose, you're so, if you're in solitude and can't choose to get out of it, then you're lonely. Mm. Uh, and, and that's the difference. Mm. Um, I see. Another, uh, Alan Black, who's a Scottish writer in, in uh, San Francisco. Solitude can be sold to us today in the paradigm of health. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the, the simple answer to that is that it was the reverse of that. In, when I begin in the 18th century, solitude was seen for most people except the highly educated. Uh, as a form of melancholy, as a form of mental unhealth, and will be destructive of you. And that the only way to to um, psychological health was to interact with people. Mm. Then you get the romantic movements in the early 19th century, and gradually people begin to value being by yourself 
as a way of accessing your imagination, uh, as a way of recharging your spiritual batteries. So over the 19th century, there's a, there's a movement towards associating solitude with mental health, which certainly wasn't there before then. And then I know this is a very big question, but uh, is it an entire another book, uh, Religion and Solitude? Um, well, in America, we have these massive big churches here now. You, you do, and, and um, there is uh, work in this country which says that the bigger the church, the more it's popular, because you can find space within it. You're, you're not exposed to everybody else all the time. Uh, You've also got um, a, a strong monastic tradition, Thomas Merton, uh, who is actually English, but 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 winds up in Kentucky, um, and uh, Gethsemane, and writes endlessly after the Second World War about the value of monastic seclusion. Mm. There's a great movement, uh, a literary movement, intellectual movement, celebrating a revival of, of, of the monastic way of life, which runs through to these sixties and seventies, but then fades away again. And then, well, in your country, I, I'm, I'm sure as, as in ours, there's now this great crisis because it's, we've found out that what goes on inside security monasteries is some serious forms of sexual misbehavior. Sure, yeah. And, and, and the whole vision of shutting yourself away the solitary prayer has been, I think, irredeemably tarnished mm. and it's very damn difficult to promote. Instead, we get retreats, we get mindfulness, we get every kind Huge, of... Huge big trend, two, two big uh, meditation companies started by British folks who are in the US. Yeah, well, they must be going fast at the moment because it's, I mean, it costs, I mean, there's no form of recreation, these, these retreats. Yeah. You, you don't do retreats in downtown Los Angeles, you go out... Oh, yeah. In, in, in nice bits you of go to trendy. You go to trendy places like Tulum. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or, or in big country houses in this country. Yeah, uh, that's right. So it's a form of expensive recreation, but it, yeah. but it, but it, it, it is a place where meditation is promoted and takes place. So it does belong to the the, the, the backwash of the religious hermit movement, mm -hmm. which is enormously powerful as an idea. Uh, in the 18th and 19th centuries, going all the way back to the 4th century. Mm. But it, it's, it's a really big presence. Everybody knows about the desert fathers. Everybody knows about Christ in the wilderness. Mm. Uh, and it, it remains a kind of template, kind of model of ideal retreat mm. uh, it, it, through the 19th century and, and into the 20th. Mm. Do you think uh, we'll be a more thoughtful society post-quarantine as a result of the... Um well, Solitary I, I, time. I, I think. I think we've become more aware of people's individual consciousness in this outbreak. We, we've thought more about how people's minds work and how their personalities work and how it's affected by company. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think we will come out at least to begin with, um, with a greater awareness of the complexities of people's interaction, a greater awareness of the. Of, of how people manage by themselves um, and a greater respect I think for people's resourcefulness in managing their own company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People can sometimes think, or before quarantine, think you were a little weird if you wanted to be on your own. <laughs> yeah, but, but now we know it's it, it, it <laughs> over, over time if, 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 if they're given sufficient resources. What was your interest in solitude? I wrote a book on the issue of privacy 
of my previous life. Mm. Which, of course, that also in itself is a whole other topic with regards to solitude and surveillance capitalism. and Exactly. And um, I became interested doing that in how people could be private and how they could withdraw from the company and why they did. And I became interested in walking. So I wanted to write a book about history of walking at one stage, but it's just not enough to carry a whole book. So solitude became the mm. theme. Mm. Uh, uh, because uh, I, I thought there was insufficient understanding of what it was and where it could come from mm. and how it connected with loneliness, which was, as we said earlier on, was rising up the political agenda very rapidly. Mm. Which mm -hmm. weren't very, very clear. Mm -hmm. uh, and then God sent me the coronavirus, and suddenly my book is in <laughs> Really <laughs> fantastic <laughs> timing. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Me, me and Undertaker's both having a good time at the moment. <laughs> well, congratulations on your, on your book launch today. And um, uh, folks who are watching and, and listening, I would encourage you to uh, go buy the book. Where would be the best place for people to buy the book? It's, it's out in the UK already. It came out a couple months ago. And it comes out today. On Monday in, the, in Britain, um, they're reopening the bookshops. So prison, I, I published ah. a book which everybody wants to buy, but you can't buy in a bookshop at the moment. Um, but Monday you can in, in the States. Uh, how, are you, how are you fixed in California? It sort of depends on where you are. Honestly, I'm not exactly sure what the today's rules are in California. Yeah. I think you can do curbside buying. It, yeah. it, it very much depends. Uh, it's very political here, and it's very much county by county. Yeah. And uh, so I... I don't know. Uh, but I, I think we can go into bookstores soon. If nothing else, um, you can call the bookstore and go run up and pick it up. So yeah. it's at a competitive price and uh, it's published by Polity Press um, uh, in Cambridge. And, uh, yeah, sure I, just, I just loved it. Yeah, for, for yeah. folks watching, this has just been one yeah. of my favorite books. Um, and as I was saying to you, David, I was reading it on PD, by PDF, which is quite an exercise. <laughs> and I still loved it. I just love the book. So I can't wait to get, to get a copy of the hardback. It's a wonderful, yeah, wonderful social history um, that is a lot less lonely sounding than just solitude, but you know, so interesting to hear about like the history of, of, of board games and gardening and walking. I really um, just loved it. So congratulations. Well, thank you for your time. Yeah, okay. thank you so much. And thank you very much folks for watching. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Post Hoc Digital Salon with Susan McTavish Best. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It really does make a difference. If you don't already, please make sure to follow us on social media. That's at McTavish Best on both Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for attending our digital salon.